We're going to uh, start with the verses in Matthew. We'll go to tw- Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven through thirty-nine. Hey there, okay. I'm sure these are familiar to most of us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I want to kind of do an exercise. I heard this uh, that kind of intrigued me. If I was to hand everybody here a notebook like this one and a piece of paper and give you five minutes to write down everybody you love by name, not necessarily first to last or in order, and you had 30 seconds, 40 seconds, how long would it take for you to get to your own name? I know um, my name would have never been on the list. So when I read this, that we must love our neighbor as we must love ourselves, I'm thinking to myself, well, how do I love myself? What do I think about myself? Well, it was kind of intriguing, but uh, the Bible doesn't really talk about it. Uh, We just love ourselves, and we know we love ourselves. Uh, Some people in the world might love themselves a little too much. They might be a little conceited. They might do the wrong things and have the wrong motivations. But as Christians, we just love ourselves because of who we are and who we've been made in Christ. A while back, I don't know when I got this, but I believe it was from this church, was a love letter from God. Has anybody seen this before? A father's love letter. All these have scriptures. I'll be more happy to let anybody see it. We can make copies of it later. Everything has a scripture after it of where it came from in the Bible. So it's a little bit of a read. Bear with me. I will try not to stutter and try to get through it as clearly as possible. A father's love letter. My child, you may not know me, but I know, every, I know everything about you. I know when you sit down, and I know when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I am complete. um, I am the complete expression of love. And it is, excuse me. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am the provider, and I meet all of your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sands of the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. For you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to move for you. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. 
As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I will take away all the pain that you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even more. Even you, I, I love you even as I have loved my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died to, so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God. That's pretty powerful. And to read that, just to be thankful for who we have been made to be in God, I think is enough love for ourselves. And then when you turn to to love your neighbor, the neighbor doesn't mean John Smith over the fence or down the road. A neighbor, everyone you see is going to be your neighbor, whether it be in Walmart and uh, to treat everyone with the, uh, the respect you would like to receive. The golden rule, treat everyone as you'd like to be treated. So when we do that, we express God's love. And I believe Patty's not here. Um, she gave a message on agape love, or that came up. And I heard that again today. Uh, the definition of agape love, this might sound familiar to you, is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffer inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. That sounds like what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we are called to Jesus to be an example of Christ and be imitators of God as his children. Agape love, to me, seems that's pretty intense. But to suffer as a parent for your children, it would be easy. But for someone down the road that maybe we haven't seen, maybe they've got their hand out, how much, how much love could we really express to them? would be you know, just giving them a few dollars for a sandwich. It doesn't cost us too much discomfort. But uh, Jesus is calling us to love unconditionally like he did. Uh, go ahead and turn to John thirteen thirty three. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
you also are to love one another. So, it, just I guess I got a little ahead of myself on that one. Uh, Jesus loved us with agape love, sacrificial, voluntarily suffering and inconvenience or discomfort, and even to death. I, that's me laying down my life for someone I know would be a struggle, let alone someone I didn't. I, I could imagine it would be easier for me to do it for my wife or my family, but for someone to down the street that needs something or is in danger, that uh, is a, a love that we definitely need to know who we have been made to be through through Jesus and definitely grow into. That's not something that uh, you walk into right away. All right. Uh, this is going a lot faster than I thought. All right. First John. Turn to First John four sixteen. One day I will learn to be a better storyteller. So we have, we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is the love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. In this day and age, there's a lot of, of, of information out there that I believe they're trying to interpretly scare us uh, if we listen to too much of it. I know in the past few years, I've taken in a lot of, a lot of news about COVID and, and the way the world's been going, and uh, I've had to shut that out. Uh, the scare tactics, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, it's right here. Everything we need to know, you know, it's uh, the Bible. It's not a book. It's uh, 66 books written by over 40 different people. And uh, pretty much it's a love story. And for us to be rooted in that and in Jesus would be a good start to, to winning back our nation and uh, uh, other children of God. As I was, this this is where I started, and I I went to love this morning as I was reading this. Um, this is kind of just jumping around a little bit. Dust. We'll go to John five nineteen and twenty. I'll work on my transitioning, guys. John John five nineteen.
I apologize. One second. Sorry, sorry for confusion. Or everybody there. John 5, 19 and 20. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That was not the verse I was looking for, but it fit right in. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. All right. Um, when I read the First Testament, or First Testament, when I read the New Testament in the, in the beginning of it and the walk of Jesus had on this earth, Jesus' main concern was to do the will of the Father. What he saw the Father do, he did. So for us to walk... In, in God, I, I believe the only thing that really truly matters for us in our lives is to do the will of God in each and every moment. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, he talks about there's nothing new under the sun. That, that's been coming back. Uh, everything has been done, will be done, has been done, or has in the past. It's going to fade away. So the only thing that truly matters is is the will of God. And I think to do the will of God in Matthew eleven twenty five, This is pretty familiar to you. Excuse me, 11, yeah, 25, 28. Come to me, all who are... I guess we can turn there. Maybe I can get that one right. <laughs> Slow down. All right, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke on, a, on an ox will lighten the load of some sort when plowing, but it also gives the farmer who's trying to plow the reins to control that ox. So when we take upon Jesus' yoke, it's easy, but he has the reins. So when we give our life to Jesus, complete and total control and under surrender, everything will come and come. It will be easy. It says it is gentle, lowly at heart. It is easy and his burden is light. When we take his yoke upon us, we accomplish the will of the Lord by following his commandments, the love. And he will guide us, and it's, he will teach us when we put his kingdom first. That's, that's Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. That, I believe, that came to me, but that was totally out of context for what we're talking about. But I truly believe 
if we are seeking first the kingdom of God in in all aspects. The kingdom of God could be uh, surrender, repentance, uh, discipline, all the things of, of the kingdom of God. And when we set our minds and focus on those, you're going to be going in the right path. And, and, and things will change, and we will see, the, see God move through this, through this church and through this town and through this world, I believe. That's what we need to have done. So I would say uh, I'm going to let it go with that. Love like Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be counted to you. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Zach. I hope he prepared a little more than I did. I had a lot more. Was, that's not too bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Got my sweet tea here today. Hmm. You know, I <laughs> I was telling Jerry before before we started this morning, I, and I still feel that way. I said the Lord, I feel like the Lord just wants me to go slow. Because Jerry was joking, he said I have like four hours of notes, and it takes me fifteen minutes. Well, I have the opposite problem, is where I might have feel like I had 15 minutes of notes and it takes me four hours. And, uh, you know, Jerry and I went fishing last Sunday after church. He was crazy enough to, to go along with me. And, and, uh, it was about an hour drive and I was telling him this morning, I said, you know, I realized later, I said, I don't think I shut it up the whole time. I said, we were, cause we were just talking about the Lord and, you know, and just different things at church, the Lord, all this stuff. And I, I remember him talking some, I do. But I was reflecting, and I was like, "Man, I, I feel like I really didn't even hardly let Jerry talk." And I, I was, I was kind of apologizing and stuff. But so I really want, and so if if I pause or if I if I'm not trying to be like overly dramatic or anything like, like I just I'm just really trying to, to listen to the Lord today because there's a lot of directions I could go. I, I was sitting back there thinking. I said I could. I feel like I could get up there and scream. And I said, I feel like I get up there and cry. <laughs> and I don't know which way I'm supposed to go exactly. And so I know where I want to start. Let's go to Matthew. Um, I want to kind of share some of the things that I've been sharing on Wednesday nights. And um, But again, there's been a lot of things I've been sharing on Wednesday nights. And so I really want to be sensitive and, and try to do my very best to um, follow the Lord today. So Matthew chapter 6, I know is where I want to start. It's really noisy, all that ice in that cup there. <clears throat> uh, Matthew, uh, I've, I've shared before, is Matthew, what is it, 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are fundamental to the, any Christian walk. They should be very much a part of your life, a part of your heart, part of your knowledge. We should be walking in the things that are in there. Matthew chapter 5 is, is uh, I, I think a lot of people call them the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are all these people. And that's you. Those are the attitudes that should, that should be dwelling and operating in our lives on a daily basis. And Matthew chapter 6, I call them the when yous. Because <laughs> uh, it's uh, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, all these things. So um, that's where I wanted to start. It's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. He's talking about prayer. He says, don't be like the hypocrites standing in the streets. But he says, but you, when you pray... 
Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And there's, there's a lot of information here, but the thing that comes out to me first is, you know, God, God, God says He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's with us always. He's everywhere. He's in us. He's in this world. He's, you know, He's omnipresent. I think that's the right word. He's everywhere. But it says specifically here in verse 6, He says that the Father is in the secret place. So we can't discount that just because God is everywhere. Jesus was putting an importance saying that the Father is in the secret place. He's there. And, uh, and, and there's an importance here. He says, when you, when you pray, he's describing the secret place. Go into your room and shut the door. If you study the life of Jesus, you find that he went away by himself. talks about that a lot, that he went away to the Mount of Olives. He went away from the multitudes, away from the crowds. For what purpose? To do this. He didn't have a door to shut. He's just given an example. You know, the, he talks about he doesn't even have a home. But yet he still would go away. That's the important part of it is the quietness, the away from this world. You know, um, it's good to drive down the road, listen to Christian music, you know, kids screaming in the back, all that. It's not the secret place. It's not. It, it's good. You might get some, something from it, um, but it's not the secret place. Uh, this is one that for me personally, I, I, this was for years, you know, it's good to drive down, you know, drive down the road or sit in the house, listen to sermons, listen to somebody else preach. It's good. It really does. It helps edify you, helps build a foundation in your life, but it's not the secret place. It's not. You won't get from that what you get from the secret place. The secret place that says you go and you shut the door. Meaning this, you, <laughs> you get rid of this thing, take this thing and lock it away somewhere. You know, turn the TV off. I mean, unless you want to listen to some music or something. But I've, I've had to start even being very careful with music because a lot of the music is, is videos and I get distracted by what they're doing and the instruments they're playing and all this stuff. And so I have to, I have to usually, when we listen to music, I usually face the other direction or something because there's, there's even that it becomes a distraction. That's the, the point that Jesus was trying to make. He says, get away, get quiet, get away from distraction, seek after the Father. That was something he did often in his life. And if we're going to say that, we, that I am a Christian, you know, I, I think every person in this room could say, raise their hand and say, I am a Christian. Well, Christian means, you know, it means a lot of different things, but little Christ-like one, little anointed one, little Christ follower, all these different things is, is what that word means. And so if we're going to follow him, we're supposed to be an imitator of him. Supposed to, when we see the life of Jesus, we're supposed to mimic him. You know, I think it's Paul, I don't remember what book, says be imitators of God as little children in the same way that you would imitate the habits that you see your parents do for better or for worse. We're supposed to imitate the life that we see Jesus live. And so this is an important part of day-to-day life. And he says, your father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. And I can't stress enough how, how important this is. These are daily principles. These are principles that should be in our lives all the time. In each person. You know, um, let's turn there real quick, just so you can see it in your Bible. I think that's important. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 
Now he's Paul is talking about his uh, just the guarantee of the Lord, and that you know, that even if you die, you're ab- to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. All these things. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nine. This was his heart. He said, "Therefore, we make it our aim. That's the goal, whether present or absent." To be well-pleasing to Him. If you're a Christian and that's not your aim, I'm telling you there's a problem. And it needs to get fixed. To be well-pleasing to Him should be the goal. He said that's the aim. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's a promise that we will all, as an individual, stand before him and look look at him face to face. You're probably going to end up on the floor before it's all said and done. I don't know how that's going to work. But that you will see him as he is, as as a person. You will stand before your Savior and give an account. For the deeds done in your body, whether good or bad. <laughs> the next verse should, should, should strike all of us. It says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You know, and are well known to God and, and trust are well known to your conscience. So he's talking about the fear of the Lord. First Peter says, if you call on the Father, which is, if you're a Christian, you should call on the Father. Pass your time on this earth with the fear of the Lord. In your day-to-day life, that for, that it might be pleasing to Him. And I tell you that this doesn't happen outside of time in the secret place. You 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 won't. It won't work. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Because see, there's a lot of reflection that has to take place between you and Him, and Him and you, and you and Him, and Him and you. To say, Lord, is this behavior is it well pleasing to you? And if it's not, how do I get it out? If it's not, help me get out. Help me get rid of it. Things like that. Back and forth and back and forth. It's not going to happen outside of that place. I tell you this, it won't even happen, you know. If you're married in here, I'm married. We should be praying with our spouses together. Husband and wife, husband and wife. And men, you set the tone for the spiritual environment in your home. That's just the way it is. It's a, it's a law of the Spirit. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you agree with it, whether whatever, that's the way it is. If the tone is bad, it's because you've allowed the tone to be bad. If the tone is good, it's because you're saying, let's do this, let's make this thing work, whatever. You know, so it's important for those that are married to come together with your spouse as one, spend that time together in the secret place. But... There is an individuality, that's the right word, to our walk. Let each one of you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And James, I think it says that. Why? Because you will stand before Him someday. And that's a humbling thought. It's a scary thought. But it doesn't have to be. In that secret place is where you commune with the Father and He will show you. If there's something wrong in your life, He will show you. But He won't show you if you don't give Him the opportunity. 
He won't show you if you don't sit at His feet. David said in one of the Psalms, he says, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart, let it be pleasing to you, Lord. Search me, know me, try me. Those were his prayers. You have to be intentional to to make that happen. He's not going to come in and just overtake you. It takes obedience to the things that he has instructed. Your growth as a Christian all circles back to obedience in some form or another. To doing the things that He has said. Doing the things that you've received from Him. Walking in it. There's action. Always obedience. You won't grow outside of obedience. If you do grow outside of obedience, I'm telling you it's dysfunctional and it's a house that's waiting to fall. Because Jesus said, if you build your house outside of My sayings, You're like one that builds your house on the sand. And when the rains come and the floods come, your house will be swept away. So if you think that you're building a house outside of obeying Him, your house is messed up. (laughs) Take that that as it comes. That's, I don't know even what that means exactly, but there it is. You know, I was, I've been reading about Saul um, in First Samuel, everybody loves David, right? You know, David was after Saul. David was the man after God's own heart. All these things. Did you know God had a tremendous plan for Saul? Samuel told him, he said, after Saul messed up for the however many times, Samuel told him, would not have God allowed your house to endure forever? Isn't that an interesting thought? You know, that God had this... You go back and read it. It's in First Samuel, I think. God had a tremendous plan and a tremendous vision for the life of Saul as king over Israel. But he couldn't walk in it because he didn't obey the things that the Lord had said to him. And it caused him to lose it all. And David to come in and take his place. And and David did many wonderful and mighty things. Everybody loves David, you know. Even after all the stuff he messed up. But obedience, so critical. Obedience is better than sacrifice is what Samuel told Saul. Uh, Let's go to Ephesians. Uh, I think it's going to be chapter chapter 5. I can't stress enough, there there has to be an intentionality. There has to be action. These things happen on purpose. Carving out time for the secret place. Let me just give my testimony there a little bit when we lived in in Tulsa we lived there for about five years I guess and the last about the last three of it we were part of a leadership team there and there was a lot of accountability in that leadership team there were requirements where we had to pray so much we had to read the word so much you know and there was check-ins pastor there and all that and one thing I can't do is, is, is sometimes uh, to my detriment is I can't lie to you. And sometimes it doesn't always come out in a good way, but I'll tell you the truth. And so in those meetings, when, the, you know, when it came time, how did you do this week with prayer? I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. You know, I got, maybe got half of it, maybe read half of the word that I was supposed to read. You know, I didn't do it. Why not? My go-to excuse... 
I didn't have time. I didn't have time. You know, I was at that time I was working full time job. Uh, you know, wasn't too bad. Usually about fifty hours a week, but it was kind of tiring. Come home, you know, this, that, the other. Didn't have time. Didn't have time. I've found in walking through that season and and where I'm at now and all this stuff. That's a week. It's weak sauce, as 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 we say in my house. It's weak sauce. Because uh, I heard one of this, and, and you know, Ruby had a, a she does a coaching thing, and they had a training, and it summed it up really well. Something along the lines of, "You make time for the things that are important to you." You do. I found that in my own life because even when I was standing there. Or not. Well, sometimes it was in person. Sometimes we do Zoom meetings. I'd stand there and tell my pastor I didn't do it. But then I would remember the, you know, the three movies I watched that week, or the two football games I watched that week. You know, I didn't tell him that. But I. But the Lord, see, He will bring those things to your memory. Not that those things are always bad. But but see, for me to say, it, it brings accountability to when I'd say I don't have time, and then boom, it hits you right in the gut. You had time for that. Because you found it important. It was of value to you. And so what I began to see through continuing to still try as much as I could to spend time in the secret place and letting him minister to me and me minister to him and get quiet before the Lord, what I found was that I was not making the Lord a priority in my life was the honest truth of it. Is that I was not making him important enough in my life. And so I said, well, that's got to change. If I'm going to follow after him. See, because Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Otherwise, you're not fit to follow him. That's basically what he says shortly thereafter that. So he told me, (laughs) I found out that I was not making him a priority. And it it was reflected in my home. The things, not that it was chaotic or too out of control but it was should i share that lord i guess i should the whole time during this my wife was more or less begging me to man up i would like us to pray together i'd like us to read the word of god together yeah 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 we will we will Mm -hmm. let's do it yeah i'm telling you if your wife is having to drag you along after god something's wrong something's wrong it's messed up. Fix it. I had to learn how to fix it. So and now we walk together. I said, let's go, honey. Come on. Let's go. This way. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. Ephesians. Chapter 5. 5 and 15. See then, then you walk circumspectly. That's an old King Jamesy word, but I like it. It means that you, uh, you're careful about it. You think about what you're doing. That it's intentional. It's on purpose. You walk circumspectly, not as a fool, but as wise. Part of that is redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says that your time... Your time, it has to be redeemed. That can mean a lot of things, but the, the, the key thread in all of it is it has to be taken back. That's part of redeeming something, is it not? You go and through whatever means necessary, you grab something and you take it back. 
All of us can relate to that. We've been redeemed by Christ, right? We were taken out of sin, redeemed, and put into His kingdom. Right? That's one example. It's going to look different for everybody, but this is part of the spending time in the secret place. Is He'll begin to show you areas where you can redeem time, where you can take it back, where you can cut this out, get this out, change this, do that. It's going to cost your time. It's going to cost yourself. doesn't mean that you can't do the things that you enjoy, <laughs> but He may have you do them differently. It may start to look different. It may cost, you know... <laughs> Just as an example, to make sure that this gets done in my life, it's my goal to spend time in that secret place often. Try to do it every day. To make, for me personally, to make sure that I, that I get it done, I have to do it in the morning because that's, I feel like that's just smart. Because if you don't, if you don't do something in the morning, the day, gum, the day comes, life comes, stress comes, next thing you know it doesn't happen. So what that means is I have to lose out on a little bit of sleep. No, that's hard, but it's a cost. It's a little cost, really, when you think about it. It's a small cost. But that's the cost. Is before I go to work, before I get ready for work, before everything else starts for the day, I set my alarm for however much prayer time and time with the Lord that I desire to spend that day, and I get up. I make an effort. It costs me. You know, to go in there apart from everybody else, just me and the Lord. But it's an intentional. It happens on purpose. It's what you do that there, there's there's that is a big part of an obedience. You know, uh, James again, faith without works is what it's dead. Not right. It's dead. So if we're talking. But we're not doing. It's dead. There's a death in your walk. If all we're doing is just talking, but there's no doing. Okay, winding down here. Now this may take a little bit. We're going to go back to where the pages are still new in your Bible. We're going to go to the book of Haggai. (laughs) Should be some nice crisp pages back there. And honestly, it's going to take me a minute to find it too. It's uh, it's right before Zephaniah, I believe. Which, there might be some new pages there too. <laughs> I don't know if that helps. You might have to use the concordance at the front. It's It's toward the end of the Old Testament. And it's a really small book, so it makes it hard to find. I think it's... Oh, goodness. Don't do this to me. I might have to cheat and use my phone. Oh, good grief. Okay. That's terrible. I should have put a marker there. So it's Haggai chapter 1. And just quick background here. The people of Israel were in bondage and they were released. They're coming back to Jerusalem to rebuild things. You know, type and shadow there of us being redeemed out of sin. 
put back into the kingdom of God. Anyway, um, one, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, saying, and I'm skipping over a little bit. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. This people say, meaning the people, children of Israel, these people say, the time is not come that the Lord's house should be built. Let me keep reading. And then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you to dwell in your, one says, paneled houses? Is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, meaning the temple, this house lies in, in ruins, it says, lies in waste. He says, and the Lord says, to consider your ways. That's a very nice way of saying, listen up, pay attention, think about what you're doing. <laughs> we, we probably wouldn't say that so politely in our... But see, the temple was a, it was a, a, a type... See, when, in, the, in that time, when, when the temple was there, the Spirit of the Lord was, was there. That's something we don't quite understand, but that's where He was. It was in the temple. It was, it was symbolic of their worship. Everything that was, t- that was where they worshipped. It was the temple. It was all. And so, but see, the equivalent is, is now, in our, in our walk, you're the temple. I'm the temple. You are God's temple. We know that. But see, he, he's, what he's saying there still happens often here in verse 2. It says, these people say, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. We all say that. It's not time yet, for whatever reason. When I get this done, when I get this paid off, when the kids get out of, will go off to school, when this, when this, when this, when this. Not time yet. He said, the people say that the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. But then he asked them, he says, is it time for you to dwell in your house? Meaning that they, they were seeing to it that their lives were taken care of. Everything that they needed was taken care of. Their houses were built. And, and everything working right. But he says, in this house lies in ruins. Lies and waste. The house, the temple of the Lord, your relationship with Him, your worship with Him, your fellowship with Him, it says it lies in ruins. But look at the end result here. Verse 6, it says, You have sown much, but you don't. You bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but you're not warm. You earn wages, but you put wages into a bag filled with holes. Does that sound like your life? Does it, that sounds like my life has at times. And he goes on to tell them why and to, and to instruct them to rebuild the temple. And I'm telling you, there's so much imagery here and so much relevance here. So much of the time, that's what our life looks like. You feel like you work, work all the time, but it doesn't profit anything. You do all this stuff and there's no, there's no fulfillment to it. There's no, it doesn't bring you any joy, but we still keep doing it. And I'm telling you, the key is because we've neglected building that temple in each and every one of us. We've neglected the secret place where the Father is. That's where He is. In the same way that He was in the temple, He is in the secret place now. So don't neglect it. 
Make it a priority. Don't just talk about it. See, that's where I, even I struggle with talk. I'm a talker. I didn't used to be a talker, but I, somewhere along the line I became a talker. It's a blessing and a curse, I tell you. But don't just talk about it. You know, we have all these things. Don't just talk about it. Be about it, you know. That's, that's, there's a lot of truth to that because it's actions. It's what you do. what you do. I don't know what example to give there. You know, Jerry was talking about loving people, loving your neighbor. You can't fake that. It has to be real. It's my desire that hypocrisy would die in the church. I believe it can because of the price that Jesus paid. I believe we can walk in holiness, walk free from sin. But in the meantime, there's a lot of it that goes on. He was talking about blessing homeless people. You know, that's wonderful. I like to do that. But it doesn't profit me anything to go bless a homeless person and say, Jesus loves you. Go on your way and then come home and yell at my wife. Cuss her out. It doesn't profit anything. I don't have the statistics. I'm a st- statistics guy. I really enjoy stuff like that. But I was listening to someone else talk about the day. He was saying that the statistics on 18-year-olds in the church are devastating. Why? Because they've grown up seeing hypocrisy. They've grown up seeing things that are fake, not real. And so when their parents stop making them come to church, they're out. See ya. Deuces. You know. Shouldn't be like that. Nobody wants to, I know, I, nobody wants to hear parenting advice from the guy that doesn't have any kids. I understand that. But I can tell you what this says. It says train up a child in the way that they should go. The best training isn't, hey, go do this. The best training is let me show you what you should do. Let me show you what it looks like to get up and seek the face of the Lord. Let me show you what it looks like to walk in holiness. Let me show you what it looks like to get alone, lift your hands up and say, I love you, Lord Jesus. I bless you. That's the best training that you could ever offer your your children because they will see that it's real. See, I wrestled with that for a long time because I had the parents who, they might, we go out to eat, they chew out the waitress and then say, okay, let's pray over our meal. Lord Jesus, thank you for this food we're about to, you know. Wait a minute. What are we doing? You know. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Sesame Street. Let it be real. And it, the realness comes from a genuine relationship with Him in that secret place. Let's just, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us today. I thank you, Lord, that you would encourage, build up each person that came in today, that they would not be the same as when they walked in, that you give them a fresh vision, a fresh flame, that that flame within them would be stirred, stirred up unto good works. That's why we met today, Father, according to your word, to be stirred up unto good works, to go and do the things that you've set before each one of us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.
yes, we're dismissed. I don't know how that works. Continue to pray for Pastor Roberta. Let's do that, actually. I know Jerry kind of did, but let's do that again. Father, we just speak life over Roberta's body. We command sickness to leave in the name of Jesus. That the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made her free from the law of sin and death. That sickness and disease has no authority, no power over her body. That health would spring out. Life would spring out. I thank you, Lord, for a refreshing in every part of her spirit, soul, and body. For a continued uh, vigor and health in her body. In Jesus' name, amen.